This is a major podcast and we call it UNFTR. I'm fucking the Republic is the name that is not safe for work. We hate Reagan, Milton Friedman, Rupert Murdoch, and Matt Gaines. Talk socioeconomics, global markets, politics, and race. Max, the host, is basic and admits he likes Miami Vice. 99 produces, also she's a vegan and she's nice. Many Faces is the genius on the board behind the glass. Together they produce this unbelievable fucking podcast. 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 Oh, <clears throat> and uh, yeah, by the way, my name is Tom McGovern, and just know that I'm a hired gun. So if you're gonna hate somebody, please don't let me be the one. Now you have the details of the show and the entire cast. So listen to this unbelievable fucking podcast. So listen to this unbelievable, this Chapter 1. Dispelling Crime Mythology We covered the punitive carceral measures and anti-welfare reforms that took place during the Clinton administration. This was the true, tough-on-crime era characterized by figures like Rudy Giuliani and Bernie Carrick in New York City and the popular broken windows theory, stop and frisk, three strikes, mandatory minimums, loss of enfranchisement, public housing, and other welfare benefits for offenders. When crime began to drop precipitously in the 1990s, hardliners were quick to point to these policies as proof of success. The only problem is that the numbers were already in steep decline by the time these policies were passed and fully implemented. In the decade of the 90s, violent crime dropped by 28% and property crimes dropped by 26%. By the late 90s, when crime and welfare policies actually took hold, incarceration rates spiked dramatically, consigning a generation of black and brown people to further poverty, disassociation, and mental and physical health issues from the stress of broken families and lives. In the first decade of the millennium, the national incarceration rate increased only 1% over the end of the 90s when incarceration skyrocketed. And yet, violent crime decreased another 27% and property crime decreased another 25 there were other theories, like the prohibition of leaded gasoline. The Brennan Center's seminal report in 2015 allows space for this idea while explaining the difficulty in measuring outcomes on this specific point. Freakonomics famously put forward the idea that the 90s was the first decade that Roe v. Wade was fully recognized, meaning children who would have otherwise gone on to commit violent crimes as adolescents and young adults weren't around because they were aborted perhaps the most cynical explanation ever offered. This theory has been largely debunked because while the United States was experiencing a decline in crime, so was the rest of the industrialized world. 
And as much as we like to think that our legislative policies carry throughout the world, they don't. What the Brennan Center determined was that a combination of increased policing, high employment, decreased alcohol consumption, income growth, and an aging population were the largest contributors to the decline in crime nationally. Huh. So when you provide protection for communities, offer treatment for addiction, and foster employment growth so people can earn a dignified income, crime goes down. Who'd have thunk it? Even with rising income inequality and stagnant wages, this demonstrates that when basic needs are met, most humans aren't inclined to break with societal norms and the law. And Fucking the Republic is brought to you by over-caffeinated members W. Jeremy D., Tony, Sultan, Specker, Sam C., Ryan F., Rodrigo G., Rob Nasby, Prof G, Pete M, Nathan Zerst, Nathan E, Nettie Hugger One, Michelle H, Matthew, and the memory of Nettie McGee. Chapter Two: When All Else Fails. I mean, from cashless bail and other pro-criminal laws that have been passed up in Albany to district attorneys like Alvin Bragg refusing to enforce the law uh, and a lack of support for law enforcement. People are reading these stories of, of individuals pushed on, onto subway tracks or stabbed and otherwise targeted on our streets. And it's not just inside of this city. It's been across other parts of the state the last couple weeks. That's Shit Gibbon and New York gubernatorial candidate Lee Zeldin hammering home the big GOP talking point. As unfuckers know, I'm no fan of our incumbent unelected governor, Kathy Hochul, who steals from indigenous tribes and makes backroom deals for big money supporters. She fucking sucks. But Zeldin is a big lie, election-denying Trump shill who voted against the Women's Protection Act, background checks for weapons purchases, a pathway to citizenship for DACA kids, the John Lewis Voting Rights Act, and certifying the presidential election. So that's what he did in Congress. As for what he would do if elected governor, Zeldin wants to increase fracking in New York State, eliminate any curriculum in New York schools that involves race discussions, open more correctional facilities, remove restrictions on solitary confinement, and expand the number of charter schools. But the big one, the thing that he's really hanging his hat on, is repealing bail reform in New York State. That's the big ticket item that Republicans all across the country are pinning their hopes on, whether it involves their state or not. Across the country, violent crime is on the rise, and police chiefs believe one major policy change is at least partly behind the surge. From L.A. Zero bail poses challenges. To Chicago. Keeping violent offenders in jail longer will reduce violent crime. To upstate New York, how do you describe the state of where we are right now? I think there, there certainly is fear. The state of New York did away with cash bail for low-level offenders in 2019. That means those charged with some crimes aren't held in jail, but instead released until they stand trial. In some ways, this is a sensible political gambit in New York. New York City has seen an increase in crime since the beginning of the pandemic. Some of that is borne out by statistics. Some of it is anecdotal, with some justice advocates claiming that the NYPD is trying to prove a point through the lack of enforcement, sort of a punishment for the Black Lives Matter movement. So let's drill into this to separate facts from hyperbole. First, crime is up compared to pre-pandemic levels, 
all across the country, and New York is no exception. We'll talk about the rest of the country in a moment, but let's focus on New York because it's become a focal point for Republican ads even in other states because New York and California were the most high-profile states to move forward with bail reform. In pure numbers, here's Newsweek's analysis of crime statistics directly from the NYPD over a 30-year period. In New York City, there were 2,245 homicides in 1990. The last 12 months, 327. In 1990, there were 527,000 criminal complaints registered with the NYPD. The last 12 months, 95,000. Rape is down 65%. Robberies, down 85%. Felony assaults, down 55%. Burglaries, down 50%. And remember that these are absolute figures, and we've added 1.5 million people since then. The 12-month trailing figures are higher than they were pre-pandemic, but the progress made in reducing crime is undeniable for all the reasons stated earlier. Addiction services, more policing, an aging population, high levels of employment. So from these metrics, the two big changes during the pandemic were increases in substance abuse and a reduction in active policing on the streets. According to Republican campaign ads, the biggest change was bail reform. So let's talk about it. There's another issue, though, that Republicans have been emphasizing and maybe gaining some traction on, and we thought we would take a look at that, and that is the issue of crime here. So this is an interesting way of looking at it. This is a Pew poll that came out this week, and taking a look here at the issues where Republicans seem to have their biggest strengths here. These are issues that voters say are, in their words, very important to them in terms of making up their minds in the midterm. And again, not surprisingly, you see the economy is very high. Look what's second, though, on this list. It's violent crime. First off, what is bail reform? There are several aspects to it, but the most visible change that has Republican lawmakers and police departments on the offensive is the elimination of bail for low-level offenders. For a little context on this, here's Manny Faces to read from a Newsbeat article on the bail reform movement to help understand why criminal justice advocates were pushing for this for decades. Quote, nearly two-thirds of the United States jail population consists of people who have not been found guilty of a crime. And the majority of defendants are detained inside county jails, which own 87% of jails nationwide, at a cost of $9 billion annually on pre-trial detention. California, a supposed liberal beacon, imposes the largest monetary load on its pre-trial jail population, which accounts for 60% of jailed inmates in the state. With a median bail amount of $50,000, the Golden State has the unpleasant distinction of imposing an average bail amount that is five times the national average. On average, 400,000 Americans each year choose to remain in jail until trial, simply because the cost of freedom is astronomically high. Meanwhile, a wealthy individual with a similar bail amount can pay the fee to the court and walk out until their trial date. Their riches affords them the opportunity to prepare a worthwhile defense. So New York and California, as the prime examples held out on the right, worked to reduce the inequity of the bail system. By the way, there are only two countries on the planet that have a cash bail system, the United States and the Philippines. Well, that's just fucking great! California was the first to fully eliminate cash bail, but they weren't the first to introduce bail reform. Kentucky, 
New Mexico, and New Jersey have all made significant strides to reduce the onus on low-level offenders in an attempt to prevent hardship prior to receiving due process. Since California enacted its measures, Illinois, Nebraska, Indiana, and New York have all followed suit with varying degrees of reform. So that's eight, eight states out of 50. And yet Republicans are claiming that progressive prosecutors are running rampant and letting offenders out of prison all across the country and endangering the lives of law-abiding citizens everywhere. Beyond the simple fact that reform is brand new and only in eight out of 50 states, there's an important piece of the puzzle that is often overlooked. According to StopRecidivism.org, quote, New York is the newest state to eliminate pretrial detention and cash bail. Their law went into effect on January 1, 2020, eliminating pretrial detention and cash bail for an estimated 90% of arrests. Under the new law, a cash bail is no longer an option for most misdemeanors and non-violent felonies. For individuals charged with serious crimes like violent felonies, sex offenses, and witness tampering, little has changed and the ability to enforce cash bail will still lie with the courts." Nonviolent offenders sitting in jail awaiting trial, meaning they're being held under the presumption of innocence, have had their lives ruined for decades under this system, all because they couldn't afford to post thousands of dollars in bail, let alone manage a reasonable paid defense. The number of people, mostly, of course, black and brown, who have seen their livelihoods ruined as a result of this one bullshit quirk of the American system is staggering. And that's while just in detention. The pain doesn't end there. Most of those detained wind up pleading to charges and serving time because they are simply out of options to defend themselves. Beyond the loss of income that accompanies any level of incarceration, there are new challenges that mount once they're on the outside. As we know from the Clinton era, certain public benefits are no longer available to those convicted of a crime, even if they only plead guilty to eradicate themselves from the system at some point. So these newly minted felons struggle to find housing and employment and are denied certain welfare benefits. But the point I mentioned that is most overlooked is that cash bail reform, even in a state as aggressive as New York, still only applies to misdemeanors and nonviolent felonies. The courts are still able to enforce cash bail for anyone suspected of a violent felony and a sex crime. And that's a good thing. But the outcry over letting violent offenders out of prison is simply a lie. Are there low-level offenders who go on to commit violent crimes? Yes. Just as there are those who have never committed a crime before who go on to do the same thing. So unless we've perfected the Minority Report pre-crime alert system, then we need to get our facts straight. There is no rationale that supports ruining people's lives with cash bail when the data show that communities of color are disproportionately affected and lives are ruined. UNFTR is also sponsored by our overcaffeinated members, Kryn G, Joa, Jennifer S, G Wookie of Ohio, Goat, Eric Wagner 101, David MJ, Corey S, Cindy S, Brian, Awesome A, Asoke, Alfie and Flash, and Asshole. Chapter 3. Gaslighting. Maybe it's because I'm in a toss-up district in a state with a high-profile gubernatorial race, but every email Every flyer in my mailbox, ad on my screen, and on my television makes it seem like the purge is in full effect. 
Well, there are in fact parts of the country that are experiencing high levels of violent crime. The per capita figures are troubling. Let's look at the top five states. What do you think they are? Oh, well, it's got to be Illinois because, you know, Chicago. New York, obviously. No doubt. And California because immigration and libs. Okay, Jersey, because fuck Jersey. And maybe a tie between Texas and Florida because, you know, guns, bath salts, yada, yada, yada. Outstanding guesses and wrong on all counts. According to the CDC's most recent statistics, the top five states for homicides per capita are Louisiana, Mississippi, Missouri, Arkansas, South Carolina, and Alabama. Five out of six of these states have a Republican trifecta government. Only Louisiana has a Democratic governor, but it has a full Republican legislature. In other words, the states with the highest incidence of violent crime and homicides per capita are deeply red states in complete Republican control. Let's listen to the nation's seeping leather cheerio dramatically insert some coded and some overtly bigoted ideas into the vacuous minds of Fox News consumers to better understand how this plays out in right-wing media. Warning, the clip you're about to hear is fucking stupid. Where's the constituency for violent crime in this country? Is there really one? Is there anyone who's for it? Other than like Kamala Harris and Ron Klain and the ideologues who run this administration? Most people are not for it. Even most Democrats are not for it. The Safety Act of Illinois stands for Safety, Accountability, Fairness, and Equity today. The reason they're doing this is because they didn't like the demographic breakdown of the people who are getting arrested for crimes, period. This can't be happening. Therefore, they're just going to redefine it away. It was ideologically inconvenient for them. So the solution is to just legalize murder and kidnapping and trespassing. And at the same time, you are not allowed to notice that an awful lot of these cases appear to be, it's hard to know and you never want to think it, but they appear to be motivated by racial animus. The focus of this particular fucker clip is, as usual, Chicago. Actually, in the lead-in, he takes great pains to point out a specific incident in a fancy Chicago suburb, i.e. mostly white area. He gets in the token shot at Kamala, Kamala Harris, Harris, which is strange considering she was one of the least progressive prosecutors in California before becoming a senator then VP. He makes sure to emphasize the word equity with his little crooked rapey frat boy smirk, then rationalizes changes to the criminal justice system as woke politicians not wanting to report that black people are the ones that commit crime, so we just won't report crime anymore. Then claims that it's reverse racism that motivates most crime and murder is now legal. According to Nielsen, 3.1 million people tune in to hear what this twat waffle has to say. And then it amplifies from there. These talking points run through the halls of Fox and make their way onto programs like The Five. America's crime crisis somehow getting even more disturbing with the latest example happening in our nation's capital. An innocent woman savagely beaten by a group of teens on a bus. It's very hard to watch. Look here. Violent crime in D.C. committed by black people, of course. Or on Jesse Waters' new show. Crime is a disease, and like any virus, it attacks an area of weakness. Just like, you know, you get sick when you're exhausted and run down, crime flourishes in neglected areas. Like Democratic-run cities, where chaos has run rampant for decades. You know, democratically-run cities filled with black people. 
not the statistically meaningful crime-leading states like Louisiana, Mississippi, Arkansas, South Carolina, Missouri. And to make sure they're not taking any chances, this narrative can be found on sister channel, Fox Business. Do you know what gaslighting is, Stu? Well, you define it for me. <laughs> it's when you tell somebody uh, who you're going to believe, me or your lying eyes. It's when you say to them what you are experiencing is not real. That's what Democrats and progressives are doing to voters. They are downplaying the effects of this crime wave, which is disproportionately impacting black Americans, Hispanic Americans, and lower income Americans. People who used to see the Democrats as their champions who now understand that the Democrats have turned on them. Then, the anecdotes make their way to the potosphere. It's almost like someone is being paid. Like, when, when you hear these George Soros stories, mm -hmm. well, he's trying to destroy the country from within by, by uh, putting in these people. Like, he's the guy who put in the guy who's the DA in Los Angeles mm -hmm. that's letting people out. Just lets people out. A guy pulled a, a knife on a fucking sheriff, and they let him out a couple of weeks later. And he hacked some guy with in front of his family oh, with a machete. I yeah, read about that. what the fuck, man? Here's Dave Rubin saying, "Ignore stats and trust our anecdotal reports about democratically run cities." But again, this is one where I would say to you guys, you don't always need the stats and the polls to show everything. We can read you. I mean, we've done it a million times talking about the crime in Democrat-run cities. Look, I'm not trying to torture you. Then stop! Chapter 4. Bring it home, Max. Most of the people we put in jails and prisons are not there because they're a threat to public safety. Uh, we did that because we were looking for ways to make ourselves look tough. No, the crime rate, the violent crime rate, is actually where it was in most communities in the 1960s, before we had 2.3 million people in jails and prisons. And... Um, one of the things we've done is we've actually disrupted communities. We've made it more likely that people will offend. I talk to 13 and 14-year-old boys in poor neighborhoods who tell me that they don't expect to be free by the time they're 21. I'm just trying to hammer home the effectiveness of right-wing messaging. Violent crime is running rampant in democratically run cities, and Biden and Kamala want to bring that type of lawlessness to your town. Grab social media video of black person appearing to engage in criminal activity. Cut to expert who says it's only getting worse in our cities and point to the only thing that could have possibly changed. Liberal prosecutors funded by George Soros letting criminals run free because of bail reform. Stats be damned. Facts be damned. Remember, Lee Atwater left us all the breadcrumbs that we need. Nixon ran on a law and order platform and won. Reagan manufactured the war on drugs industry from the seeds Nixon planted and won. Clinton left the campaign trail to execute Ricky Ray Rector just to prove Democrats aren't soft. Then he went on to pass historic crime legislation that decimated black communities across the nation. And so it goes. It's a winning formula, not just in America, but everywhere in the world. With all the talk about stealing elections, understand this is how Republicans plan to steal this one. And they just might succeed. Crime is an all-of-us problem. Stop the midterm steal. And for the love of everything, 
vote. Here endeth the lesson. It's the end of the episode where we used to do show notes. Now we just talk through a few things. Reflect on what was said or what we should have done instead. Oh, post-show musings. And fuckers, welcome into post-show musings. Thank you for your indulgence while I took a little bit of time off to heal and recalibrate. I wanted to get this in. Before we get back to our normal flow, we're actually dropping another couple of things between now and the election. Well, we're going to drop one more thing between now and the election, and we're going to experiment with something next week. Hopefully it goes off without a hitch, where we kind of Monday morning quarterback or Wednesday morning quarterback the election between the three of us here. So stay tuned for that. Hopefully we can pull that off and get that up sometime on Wednesday. The reason I wanted to get this in here is because it's obviously troubling, but it's so effective. And one of the things that I was thinking about that I can't really put my finger on, even though we've done so much work in this in this space, talking about propagandizing, messaging, the coordination of think tanks, these billionaires who fund the think tanks, the messages that come out of them, how they go through the echo chamber on the right, and why they're so good and so effective at it. We know that tough on crime messaging is is really effective because it has been forever. And again, that's not just an America thing. That's a very successful strategy. But it's also one of desperation because when you have nothing else really to run on, it's a very effective way to just sort of gin up your base. And that is also the job of the opposition party. The loyal opposition is supposed to try and win. And they're going to do this. They don't care about the collateral damage involved again in tearing apart black and brown communities because you cannot you can't look at any of this stuff without seeing right through where they're going by targeting quote inner cities urban areas they don't have to say black and brown people they don't have to say it out loud they're just going to show you the imagery and talk about how quote cities are out of control that is all coded language for the same bullshit that they've been running for 400 fucking years in this country but what I can't figure out is the polling piece, right? So, yes, the billionaires have an agenda and they'll fund the think tanks. Presumably, the think tanks and the billionaires through their PACs and their organizations and their nonprofits have access to polling data. But seeding these messages out there in such a coordinated fashion and having the talking points out there means that somewhere along the way, there's a fucking meeting. You know what I mean? Like there's a meeting somewhere. There's a meeting of the minds. Who's in that fucking room? And who's pushing those buttons? Who's paying for the poll? Who's scripting out the questions for the polls that then turns in to your talking points and that sheet, that master sheet that everybody in the right wing, potosphere, blogosphere, video sphere, everything gets. Like who fucking does that? The room where it happens. Who's in the room where it happens? Or three men in a room, depending on, you know. Is that a, by the way, is that a, that's always been a New York thing, but that is that a kind of a ubiquitous thing? Does anybody else know the, the three men in a room trope that's outside of New York? I don't know. That's a good question. Mm. I mean, yeah, I don't know. But... So if you had to put 
let's say five people in the room, the masterminds today of all of this, who do you think is in there? I don't know. Because um... we know the mouthpieces are Jesse Waters and Sean Hannity and Ben Shapiro. And, and then you go down the ladder a little bit. You get to the Dave Rubens and Dan Bongina or whatever his name is, right? <laughs> Probably the alive Coke, right? Okay, or an emissary. So there's a Coke emissary that's in the room. Sure. A Prager vibe, maybe? You think Prager or is he one of the useful idiots? I don't know, only because of the So is funding. it Prager or is it Wilkes? Do you think the funder's in there or, or, or Dennis? Do you think Dennis Prager gets a seat? I don't know. It's hard, you know, it's hard to imagine because... I'm thinking about money money guys normally they're like yeah here just go do it. Right. They're also evil but like they're not strategists. They're just rich a lot of the time. It's like when Nancy McLean unearthed James Buchanan's papers and was like holy fuck this guy wrote the playbook but he's not around now. Yeah. Right so who's in the room writing that playbook now? I'm so fucking curious about this. Ivanka <laughs> Melania, uh, sorry, Michelle Obama's <laughs> scriptwriter. Right. <laughs> um Maybe Leonard Leo Maybe the dude from the Federalist Society. In my head, you were going to say Leonard Cohen, and I was like, why? Why would he be there? Oh, maybe maybe, maybe Clapton's there, like we were talking about. <laughs> Clapton. He's a writer. He is. He is. He so, knows how to message, right? It's true. Mm -hmm. they, should, they should maybe em employ them. I don't know. It's, it's when we pull on the threads, they all seem... It's like, remember I showed you that other weird... Prager like, like university. Stuff. Yes, yeah, like yeah, yeah. That type of shit. There's, and I saw another one the other day. There's so many of these weird, <laughs> I don't know, cults, mm -hmm. culty little things where I they're all connected and they're all weird and. So that's interesting. The connection to what's happening in corners of the internet that we don't really frequent every day, right? Because that is where a lot of these bullshit theories kind of bubble up, and that's where I feel like Bannon absolutely in the room mm. because he's the guy that has access to these corners and is seeing what like what's what's on people's mind and thinking like okay i can twist that and i can use that so i mean like top of my list i think would be bannon i think that he is like the evil mastermind at the at the center of a lot of this bullshit right now i want to add some women in there i'm gonna say wendy graham i'm gonna put her out there i don't know who that is wendy graham phil graham's wife she's I don't en know who that is. enron superstar okay fucking complete asshole. She ran a government agency. I can't remember which one off the top of my head, uh, but just an evil, evil fucking motherfucker. Mm. There aren't enough uh, evil women. That's what I'm saying. Maybe Teal. Ladies. Right? Maybe our, maybe our Swan, guy Teal. The right? cult leader. He's, he's got a little bit of everything in there, right? I was talking about Teal Swan, the female cult leader, but sure. Oh, who's that? Which cult did she run? It's the sort of the cult of Teal. Like, she, it's she's just like a guru and... Mm. There's a documentary about her, but it's slightly problematic because they uh, definitely didn't. Should I follow her for a little bit? Should I get into it? No, I'm scared if oh, you get do. It? Oh, okay. Never mind. It's one of those things where I think she might be able to get anybody. Since you know so much about them, can we start a cult? Yes, we already have. Is that what this is? Yes. Oh, never mind. Manny, maybe strike that. <laughs> from... I don't know. Hey, unfuckers, email you... us. Do you think there's a comparable democratic room or no? And that's why we're so bad because we have <laughs> no consistent messaging. Absolutely. Well, what if they... We have no room. Maybe we just need to rent a room for them. Yeah, they can come here. Oh. We have... This is a room. Yeah. 
have to listen to the guy next door, but. Oh my God, this guy. <laughs> Why don't we just have, um? they need like a dam, like a digital asset manager that companies use. So it's just like the DDAM, Democratic <laughs> Digital Asset Manager, where they just put a bunch of like, here's things to say and words to know. And here's a meme that people will like. Get Vermin Supreme to do it. <gasps> Love Vermin. He's really good. I mean, he might look. I'm. He's alive. Yeah. He's good. Yeah, I Is think he gonna so. Run again? <laughs> Probably. Okay. I don't know. I'm so. I, I, I'm always afraid to talk about somebody because I feel like they're gonna be like he raped somebody, and I'm like, oh fuck, I didn't know. I'm sorry. Oh. So I'm. Af- It'd be great if we could put him in the room with the rents too damn high guy. Yeah. Right. Hmm. Is that guy still alive? That's also a very good question. I'm not sure. <laughs> Vermin always posts really funny memes and he sells really funny merch. Vermin merch? Yeah. Mm. Did you see the Elon, he was fighting with AOC on Twitter? Oh. Mm. Yeah. So he he posted a screenshot that her sweatshirt was $58 on her website. And she replied to him and was like, all of my merch is union made. Everyone gets health care, <laughs> child support, leave. God, I love her so much. And you pay people like slave wages and then everyone else was tweeting at at him with screenshots of tesla sweaters and they're all like 65 dollars 75 dollars i mean how can he be so yeah i mean why would you engage i don't know i think because she said something she was like made fun of that he's trying to charge for that twitter blue thing Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. i'm like it's like watching a car wreck i really i can't look away like, I'm still looking, but yeah. I'm not engaging. But I have to stop looking because I know it's going to get bad. <laughs> but You know where the real action is? Because you mentioned it right before we open up the mics. The real action's happening in Knutson's Unfuckers at All Facebook group. Mm-hmm. Come on over to the dark side, Unfuckers. They have over 600 members now. Wow. Isn't that fun? A 600-person cult. <laughs> we have 300 <laughs> more and we'll be, uh, you know, we could do a, a Jim Jones. Wow. We're that close? We just have to get everybody together well, in a the field somewhere. Well, people that died, ish. Oh goodness. Sorry. Oh. It was like, like you know, it was like what forty years ago. It didn't happen. We're not going to kill anybody on fuckers. We're no, trying to save everybody. Over seventy-five. Except for the white men over seventy-five. Forget yeah. about that whole thing. How could you forget? It's our oh, my bad. That's what we say. We have our little. We do our handshake when we get in, and it's like Max in ninety-nine kill all the white men over seventy-five, and we have a you know a coordinated thing. There's a dance. Yeah, dance, handshake, mm-hmm. patty cake. Yep. We, it's a secret. So if you ever see people seeing that in public, it's it's us. <laughs> but pretend you don't see us. So send us who you think is in the room. Rare it happens. Draw little stick figures. It'll be cute. Yeah, maybe we can get some of our unfucker artists together. To or if you're not an artist. Graphically represent Just make that room. Make a circle and put five little squares. So I know this was a little bit tighter than our normal full episodes. I initially wanted to put together a topical cream. Then things started to expand, so it sort of lives in that nether region between a quickie, a topical cream, and a... No, it's no good. Like, I actually, another podcaster, I was listening to Maintenance Phase, and he said nether region, and I'm like, people say nether region to talk about, like, genitals. Oh. Have you not heard that? I, I have. So I just feel like it's a weird... It's like if you're like, it lives in the taint between topical cream and quickie. It just doesn't, it's weird. Hey, did you see that I used uh, one of the unfucker waffle. insult cues? Taint waffle. Twat waffle. Twat, twat waffle. Yeah. Twat waffle. We're getting there. 
Okay. Sorry, I, I interrupted your flow. No, it's fine. Um, send us who you think is in the room. This was a shorter episode than a normal, like, full-on unfucking while I continue to get my bearings. I did promise that I'm working on something longer, better, that I, I think is good timing and, and some, some awesome stuff coming up. And um, that's all I have for this week. Just very, very grateful to all of you for uh, continuing to support us and for being patient with me uh, as I get my poop in a group, as we say. Because that's what we want to do, right? <laughs> we all want our poop in a group. Oh, uh, I, I would like to add that into the store. A poop in a group shirt. Okay. Cool. What if we get a poop squishy? <laughs> yeah, we could do that. I don't know if they have them. Oh. But we'll, I'll see. Okay. And why don't you uh, take us out? Okay. Are we changing the outro? Is this the new outro? <laughs> okay. UNFTR is written and hosted by Max. That's me. Produced by 99. That's you. And engineered by Manny Faces. That guy. Ayo. All original music is produced by Jimmy Fallon contest winning Tom McGovern. Super famous guy. Yeah. Visit TomMcGovern.com. He was ours first. Yes, he was. Remember to support us by sharing and subscribing or becoming a member at buymecoffee.com slash UNFTR. All the information along with the episode resources can be found at our website, UNFTR.com. Beautiful. Catch I know you. I am. We'll catch you in a little bit on fuckers. Bye.